off with this morning is John 15, verse 13. And it says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us, and we're just so thankful. And it was his love that motivated him. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your great love for us and how mighty you are. And Lord, today we bring you honor. We bring you honor for what you've done. We bring you honor for all that you have accomplished on our behalf. And we recognize that your love motivated you to go to the cross for us. And we give you honor. Lord, this morning, would you open up our hearts to hear from you? Lord, the way that your Holy Spirit can speak to all of us, but speak to every single one of us. And we just thank you. We love you. And Lord, I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit to share and to impart what's in your heart today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've been in this series the last four weeks leading up to today called Encountering Jesus. And we've just been looking at different people in the Bible and how when they encountered Jesus, what was that like and what did they learn? And um, this, uh, this week we're going to look at a, a few different individuals. But you know what I like to do when I'm reading uh, at this time of the year is I like to read through the scripture about Jesus' death and resurrection and just see... What happens to really strike me or the Holy Spirit kind of quickens me. There's a couple things I want to share with you this morning. And one of the things that was really compelling to me as I read through the story this year was how alone Jesus was when it came time to face the cross. You all know that Jesus is a people person. He, he likes people. He gathered his disciples. He traveled with his disciples. He talked to crowds. He talked to individuals. He had his disciples who were with them. And um, Jesus was a, was a relational person. But right when he was going to the cross, right when they were hauling him off for trial, well, at first his disciples stand up and grab a sword, and Peter cuts off the ears and, of someone who's coming against them. And, and uh, Jesus is like, simmer down. Just take a breath, guys takes the ear, puts it right back on, on the, uh, the high priest's servant's ear, uh, head, just like that. No copay, no follow-up visits. <laughs> just did it. Just did it. And um, he, Jesus is like, no, this is not what's happening right here. We're not leading a rebellion. We're not leading a revolt in this moment. And as Jesus is hauled away and as the process of the trial goes on for Jesus, he becomes all alone. All of the disciples, it says, in the book of Matthew, actually left him. Uh, Peter, uh, one of, an outspoken disciple, even denies him. And uh, the crowds turn against him. And um, when I was reading through this this year, and I'm looking at everybody leaving Jesus, you know, it's one thing to face hardship. It's another to, in a sense, face it on his own. You know, and so I was reading in Mark 14, verses 64, and this just really struck me. It says, uh, the the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, says, you've heard him blaspheme. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. It says in Matthew, it says they spit in his face. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. It's like they were saying, prophesy, who hit you? And the guards took him back. And beat him. And I just thought, he's done nothing wrong. 
He's, you know, he's, he's done nothing wrong, and now he's being hauled away, and his friends have left him. His close confidants have left him, and he's facing this all alone. And, you know, the thing is, is Jesus, what he was going to do on the cross, he was very uniquely qualified to do it. Because all of us have this challenge of we have sin, that, that thing in, in us that we do the wrong thing and we make mistakes and we make them willingly, we make them unwillingly and we, we all, all have them, have sins in our lives that we, that we can be. There's no one here that you can say, well, you've done it perfect. If you, if you have and you say that, you are a liar. <laughs> so there you go. And it's, this is what it says in I'm paraphrasing in 2 Corinthians 5. It says that he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, he had never sinned. He didn't know sin. He wasn't familiar with it. He became sin for us. The sin of the world put on Jesus because he was uniquely qualified to pay for our sin. And I'm just so thankful that he was willing to do it in that picture of him doing it so alone the other thing that struck me is you know jesus is doing this all alone right and yet jesus is familiar with there being crowds around him as a matter of fact at the beginning of this week it started off very different that sunday palm sunday people are excited for jesus and he's coming in and he's riding on a donkey which to us is like donkey you know here in goochland we're like get yourself a good horse jesus but in jewish custom a donkey for a Jewish man coming in actually represented a king coming in. And so he's coming into Jerusalem and they take these palm leaves and they're laying them down in their cloaks and he's coming in and they're just shouting Hosanna, which means God saves and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, this is like Jesus coming in for the Super Bowl and everybody's just like, yeah, you know, like my team and they're so excited. But that was Sunday. By Friday, everybody's left him. Everybody's abandoned him. And then it gets worse because these crowds, you ever notice like crowds can be fickle. You know what I'm talking about? We can be for somebody. Then we can be against somebody. We can be for somebody again. Did I just talk about Tiger Woods right there? I mean, last weekend I was like, Tiger. I was so happy. You know, we like a good redemption story, right? I went home after last Sunday. I had recorded the whole thing. I stayed off social media and all that kind of stuff. And I watched it from beginning to end. And God bless my wife. She sat there and endured the entire golf thing with me. That was a good woman right there. But she knew on social media that he won. And so she was willing to hang out in there. And I'm like, I'm practically in tears. We're like about the same age. We've got the same hair issues going on. Anyhow. But crowds are fickle. And by the end of the week, instead of the fanfare of coming in the city, there's Jesus. And the Pharisees are the teachers of the law. The religious leaders are kind of working the crowd. And Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate's like, we need to let this, this guy go. He, he hasn't done anything wrong. And Pilate is trying to coax the crowd into letting Jesus go. But the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they convince everybody not to let Jesus go. But they get him to shout, crucify. And crowds can be fickle. And there's something, you know, Jesus was around crowds a lot. And when I looked at all these crowds and I, I was watching Jesus, the crowd of the fanfare, you know, I wonder, was there anybody there at the beginning of the week 
who was shouting and singing Hosanna, who was shouting and saying crucify at the end of the week. I just wonder. But Jesus takes all of that in stride because he had a plan and he had a purpose, a plan for salvation. He had something to do. He knew what he had to do and he was willing to face it. The other thing that really struck me is Jesus has this way of in the midst of crowds, being able to bring an encounter to an individual. There's two individuals I want to show you in Scripture today. The first, his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a, a religious leader, teacher of the law. And in John chapter 3, um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He previously had been in the crowd, if you will. He had experienced Jesus in a group. And yet he broke from the crowd, the safety of the crowd, to come and encounter Jesus one-on-one, which was a little bit of risk to his reputation, which is why he actually did it at night. He goes to Jesus at night, and of course Jesus knows what's up, right? He's not willing to have this encounter one-on-one. And yet, even though he goes at night, so that he, likely so that he won't get seen, when, Jesus comes, or when, when uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's very sincere, And this is what it says in John 3, verse 2. It says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could have performed the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So he Nicodemus, if you can picture it in your mind's eye, he comes over in the, in the cover of night and he, he honors Jesus by calling him rabbi. He could have just called him by his first name, but he like respects him as a teacher. And he, he admits, he says, listen, we know that you've got to be from God because of these miracles that are happening. And it's just like, we know that you're from God, but I got nothing else. It's like blank. And what's great about Jesus is he just kind of takes over the conversation. And he says, you know what, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. It's kind of an interesting conversation. This happens all the way through the book of John, where people are having encounters with Jesus, but they're not quite sure what's going on. So Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is kind of like, he's doing mind pictures of what it would mean to be born again. And he's like, so mom's womb, like, that seems kind of gross and weird, Jesus. Where are you going with this? And Jesus is like, no, since you were already born of water, you're already, you know, born from your mama, if you will. You need to be born of the spirit. What he's pointing out is that all of us have this this problem because of sin. And that is that we are spiritually dead because sin separates us from God as far as intimacy from God. And, And so he's saying you need to be born of the spirit. He's describing that the Holy Spirit can come into your life and bring a life to you that you haven't known before this new life. And that's why he's saying born again. It's like there is a new life that I have for you born of the spirit that's different than the life that you've known. And it's it's kind of an all in kind of picture. He's saying, you need to be born again. You need a new life. You need a fresh start. He's not saying, well, you know, you just could use to make some better decisions and you could use to. No, it's like an all in kind of thing. And this is how Jesus is with individuals. He has a way of going right for their heart. 
He'll he'll work the crowd and preach to the crowd and do miracles for the crowd and and he'll feed the crowd and he'll do all that for the crowd. But at the end of the day, he sees every single individual. And he's going after their heart. And Jesus just had this way with Nicodemus. He's like, we know you're from God. Blank. Jesus like, hey, you want to see the kingdom of God? Be born again. What? Be born of the spirit. It's really a, a beautiful picture. And it, it's kind of for those of us who we go, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I know that he's real. But what do I do with that? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. It's a, it's, what's, what's the next step? And Jesus is basically like, give it all to me. Give your whole life over to me. second person I want to I share with you is one of the ones who was not only part of the crowd, but he was also part of the inner core. His name is, is Peter. He's one of the apostles. And he was, a, he was one of the people who was following Jesus as a disciple. And um, he was a really loud guy. I really like his personality in the Bible. He's louder than me by a long shot. Um, but he's this guy who's like always just saying what he thinks. You know what I'm talking about? I know some of us in the South, we don't really get that because we don't say what we think. We just, yes, ma'am, and think, hmm, we don't, hmm, no. We are polite liars. <laughs> but Peter, he was definitely from the northeast New York region or something. He just said it like it was. I'm just playing. He wasn't from New York. Um, but you get what I'm, I'm laying down, right? He was passionate. Peter was one of these guys. Some of y'all will get this. He thought it and he said it. Sometimes he said it and then he thought about it. But... He just said it plainly and he just said it out loud and he just said what he was thinking. So when Jesus was talking with his disciples and he plainly tells them, listen, I am going, he he articulates it to them very specifically. I am going to have to die and I will rise again. Well, the disciples are like, la, 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 la. No, you're not going to die. We're going to stand up for you. Peter's like, I'll give my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus is not impressed. He's like, Peter, bro, not only will you not give your life for me, you're actually going to deny me. And he, he prophesies it to me. He says, listen, you're going to deny me three times and then the rooster is going to crow. And, and you're going to know, you're going to remember this conversation. And sure enough, um, you know, at first Jesus' response when they come to get Je- or Peter's response when they come to get Jesus you know, Peter takes off the ear. Jesus says the no HMO thing and just heals him. And right, and then, and then, all the disciples are just bewildered. They don't realize what's going on. They don't understand it. Even though Jesus really plainly spoke about it, and they all receive. They all step back. They all leave him. And then Peter's hanging out in the in the in the shadows, if you will. And this young lady starts to go to him and say, "You were with Jesus. You were with him." And he's and he's like, "No, I wasn't." And how many times does he do it? Three times. And then he hears the rooster crow. And it says in Scripture that he went away and wept bitterly. Just crushed by his own failure. But after the resurrection, you know, Jesus goes to the cross, gives his life for our sins, all that we've done wrong. Three days later, Sunday, he raises from the dead. Begins to make these appearances to his disciples. 
One such appearance was in John chapter 21. The disciples had gone out fishing. And Peter, he had kind of led them out there. He said, hey, let, y'all, let's go fishing. Now, y'all, you, you need to understand, the fishing then was different than the fishing that we would have now. Where, you know, you, we think of fishing, we think of bass boat, john boat, trolling motor, cast, release. These guys, they were more like dock workers. They were handling nets. They were rough. These are kind of the guys that you would like recruit for the mafia or something like these are tough men and they they went they they went back to what they knew if you will right they went back to this place where they were fishing because it's what they knew before jesus and they're out there and they fish all night and they don't catch a thing they don't catch anything and so what happens is the morning comes there's somebody standing on the shore. He cries out to them and says, hey, put your net on the other side. Which is exactly like an encounter that they had had before. And they put the net on the other side and all of these fish are there. So many fish they can't even fit it in their nets. And Peter, it dawns on him because he's typically the guy to kind of clue in first, right? He looked, he's like, it's Jesus. And by golly, Peter is always Peter. Just as an aside, y'all, a lot of us have, if you notice, personalities. We got this wiring. I think God makes us different on purpose and we have different personalities. And I think he, he counts on it. Now, don't get me wrong. He wants to transform you into a better version of yourself. But he made you and wired you. Peter, by golly, he throws off his robe. He jumps in the water. He just takes off for Jesus. He does, that's just what Peter does. And he's going after Peter, going after Jesus, and they get there. And I thought this was really thoughtful, Jesus. Jesus made them breakfast. Isn't that cool? They're sitting around. They're having breakfast. Now, remember that the, the last conversation that Jesus or that Peter had had or the last encounter it was one where Peter had really betrayed Jesus, had really failed him. And Jesus just has this way of drawing you out of the crowd, drawing you out of the group. You know, Jesus could have just let it go. Like, well, he's here, he's having breakfast, that's good. At least he's around. But Jesus wanted to do more than that. He was going after Peter's heart. And this is what he says in John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Simon was his name before Jesus renamed him Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. Jesus is very intelligent. He doesn't need to ask the question twice. He doesn't need to ask the question once. He's asking him point blank, do you love me? Asks him once. Asks him twice. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? So he goes in for the third time. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. 
Because Jesus asked him a third time, he said, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's this beautiful thing where Jesus is going after Peter's heart. And he goes right after the matter. How many times he had had betrayed him or had confessed that he had not been with him when he had three times. And Jesus is asking him one time, two times, and he's going right for the heart of the matter. Do you love me? And a group of men, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Do you love? Yes, you know that I love you. It's going right after his heart. And each time he responds, he says to Peter, feed my sheep. Now, what had Peter been doing before? He was out fishing. He went back to his old life. And Jesus was like, Peter, I want to restore you to the place that you were. I want to bring you back to the place that I originally had for you. You are useful to me. You are important to me. I'm not putting you in time out. I'm not putting you in the sidelines. You know, when we fail God, our tendency is we want to go grab a two by four and beat ourselves. Right? We want to give ourselves some of the punishment, and yet Jesus just went to the cross to pay that punishment. And I want to tell you, when you decide to punish yourself, and oftentimes the way that we punish ourselves is to run from God, which is crazy. Right? Why would we run from Him to punish ourselves? Why would we put ourselves, trying to push ourselves away from Him, when He's the one that we need? And He's like, Peter... Feed my sheep. Now, catch this. All of this restoration is going on, right? A few days later, they would be praying and seeking the Lord in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. The Holy Spirit would be poured out. And and you know who would get up and preach a sermon about what Jesus had done? That he had died, been resurrected for our sins. And like 3,000 people would come to know Jesus in that moment and come to follow him. It was Peter. See, Jesus wasn't just going after restoring the relationship. That was the, the first part. But he was also putting him in the place of usefulness. It's a really beautiful thing. I think for us, we can have moments in our lives where we feel like I've known Jesus and I've walked with him. But I'm not walking with him the way I know to walk with him. And there's this awkwardness. This like, I feel this distance even though I know God loves me and I know he cares for me. I feel this distance from him. And we need to look at this story and we need to realize that Jesus just wants to come to the heart of the matter and say, Do you love me? Get back in the game. Do you love me? Just come on back. I don't have an elaborate timeline of restoration i just want to put you back where you need to be come and follow me because he's done the hard work on the cross and he just wants to bring people back to himself i'm just so amazed at how jesus can work with individuals wherever they are you know maybe you're in a place where when you're honest with yourself, you go, I don't know what I believe about all this stuff. I want you to know that God is not intimidated by that. 
I know from firsthand experience, when my parents went back to, to church when I was 15 years old, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I ain't doing this. I'm having fun. I like being in charge of my own life. And I don't know that I believe that this book and I don't know that I believe in all of this. And surely I'm not giving my whole life for something I don't know about. So I, told, I announced to my parents that I was atheist and I said, uh-uh, I ain't doing all that. But here's what I did. I secretly said, God, if you are out there. And you are who this book says you are. Well, I'd be crazy not to give you my life. But I ain't giving you my life because my parents went back to church. You know, I don't think God's intimidated by honesty. But what he does desire is our sincere desire to know if he's real. And if he is real, would we receive the love and the new life and the grace that he has for us and follow him? And so I think if you're in that kind of place where you're, you just don't know, God is not intimidated, but I just want to encourage you. Would you ask of him? Would you seek? Would you have conversations? You don't even have to have anybody around. Just say, God, show yourself to me. Help me to know if you are who this book says you are. And, it, you know, make that same kind of conversation. Here's what's great. If he wasn't real, he ain't hearing you. But I know from experience that when you pray that way, he will take you at your word because I was going to be an accountant. <laughs> I got my accountant look on today. You know, it's worse. I was going to be a Marine Corps accountant. That's a whole nother story. We ain't sharing up in here. Um, my buddies in high school thrashed me over that. You're going to do what? They mocked me. You're going to count bullets. What you need? Anyhow. I got recruited for a different army. Maybe, maybe you're in a place like Nicodemus where you know that God is real. You know that what Jesus did is real. And you're kind of in that place of now what? And I just want to encourage you. I wouldn't make it overcomplicated. It's really simple. He just wants your whole life. He just wants you to take your life and put it in his hands and just say, I'll follow you. And what's great is he will show you what that means. He's given you so much the word and, and a church family and the Holy Spirit and the ability to pray and seek him. Like It's all there. And it is just this journey of following him. You just wake up each day and it's like, I'm going to follow you. Whatever that means, I'm just going to follow you. But if you're in that place where you believe, but you haven't yet put your life in his hands, that's your step. Say, Jesus, forgive me for owning my own life and for leading my own life. And now I'm going to put my life into your hands. And that whole being born again that they talked about with Nicodemus is exactly what the Holy Spirit brings life to a part of you that hasn't been alive before. And it is a new life. It's like the sky looks different. It's blue, but it seems bluer. It's like life just looks different because you have a new faculty of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it makes a real significant difference. It's not a, well, I'm just going to try to be good. It's like, I, I have this new life and this new enablement to follow Christ. Maybe you're in a place like Peter and you have followed Jesus. You've put your life in his hands, but you feel like you have failed him. 
Do you feel like I put my life in his hands, but then I, whether it was all at once or slowly, I just kind of took it back. And I just want to encourage you. What I love about that story about Peter is Jesus came right to him and just said, do you love me? Yes. And if that's your answer, just follow him. Just do what he calls you to do and just follow him and know him because he's not looking for this long timeline of punishment and two by fours and just to kind of beat you up until you feel sorry enough. He just wants to restore you to follow him. You see, the cross is this amazing thing where Jesus actually takes the shame, the weight, the disgrace, the heaviness, the penalty for all of our sin. And he really wants it to go up there. Do you know that when you receive forgiveness from Jesus for what you've done, it actually honors the cross. It honors what he's done. When you try to punish yourself and take it on yourself and try to self-loathe and hurt yourself and things like that, you're taking away from what he's done. He took it on himself to give you a new life. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But it's the way that he wants to do it. And he wants to give you new life. I just want to encourage you today, wherever you are, if you're really far off and you're just not sure, seek him. He will reveal himself to you because he's real. He's not intimidated by where you are, but will you seek after him? If you're in that place where you're like, I believe and I know, but what's next? You just, today is the day of salvation. Give your heart, give your life to Jesus, and you will have a brand new life starting April 21st, 2019. If you've served Jesus, but you feel like you failed him, you've pulled away, just answer the question, do you love him? If the answer is yet, just put your life back into his hands and let him lead you again. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come.